Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again today. And some of you may have realized, but if you didn't know, today is the last Sunday of 2014. So next time we gather corporately, it'll be 2015. And if you're like me, you may wonder, where has the year gone? Um, It's just been a, a, a very fast year to me. I don't know why. Um, well, today we are continuing and actually concluding our series of Advent. This year our theme for Advent was Extravagant Grace, the Advent of the Unexpected. And we have already walked through and talked about some of the women uh, involved in the Advent uh, story. And uh, Pastor Mike uh, introduced us to this series by looking at the woman Anna, and she was an elderly woman, she was a widow, and she had spent most of her life just sitting and worshiping and praying in the temple. And it was finally uh, in her old age that she was able to see and recognize the Messiah when Mary and Joseph brought him to be dedicated. Um, So you have a widow that was unexpectedly involved in this Advent story. Last week, Pastor Mike, um, I thought, did a great job of walking us through some of the women listed in Jesus' genealogy, women who did not have a prestigious uh, past, but rather a checkered past. You had one who was a prostitute. You had another who prostituted herself to her father-in-law. That's just creepy and weird and gross. Um, You have another woman who... um, committed adultery with the king, um, infamously, Bathsheba, and you had Ruth, who wasn't even a Jew, uh, who was a Gentile, and yet God used her um, to, to be a part of his plan of redemption for mankind. And so as we look at this Advent season and these women, we see that God uses unexpected people, broken people, hurting people, um, and he makes beauty out of that. And we're going to continue this and conclude this series today by looking at uh, one of, from a human perspective, possibly the most important woman involved in the Advent story, and that's Mary. Now, there are some traditions that have a very elevated view of Mary, um, almost so much so that it's um, unbiblical and incorrect, um, almost exalting her too highly. And so there are certain things when we, we talk about Mary that we as Protestant evangelicals don't believe about Mary, okay? Um, And we'll just talk about that real briefly. First of all, there's one doctrine or belief that has been taught about Mary called the Immaculate Conception. Now, some people mistakenly think that this refers to the virgin birth, okay, that Jesus was conceived. However, this has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus, but rather the birth of Mary. And the doctrine or belief says that um, because Mary had to carry the Uh, in her womb, the holy God of the universe, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, then she too had to be holy and perfect. And so the, the belief is based on human logic. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach this, but human logic that Mary must have been conceived without original sin or without a sin nature in order to carry the, the holy um, Son of God. Well, The problem is there's a verse in the New Testament where Paul says in Romans 3.23 that 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you check the Greek, the word all means everybody. (laughs) So that would include Mary as well. So we don't believe that she was born perfect or sinless. Um, There's also a, a belief that is called the perpetual virginity of Mary, which is basically that Mary remained a virgin throughout her entire life. And we also know that this is not... Uh, correct, because there's many biblical passages that talk about her having other children. Uh, it talks about Jesus having brothers and sisters. And so um, while it sounds nice, uh, it sounds like she's this pure lady, um, it's not according to the scriptures. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, uh, where it focuses more on Joseph, it talks about how Joseph did not have union with her or didn't sleep with her until the baby Jesus was born, implying that after Jesus was born was when they consummated the marriage. And so we don't believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary. Another uh, belief or doctrine is the assumption of Mary, which is basically that Mary never died that Mary um, was just taken into heaven like Enoch or Elijah in the Old Testament. Um, And so while the the Bible doesn't mention about Mary's death, we can assume, because there's no reason not to, we can assume that she died just like anyone else. So again, there's no biblical evidence that she was just taken into heaven. And then finally, another doctrine or belief that is taught in some traditions is called the mediation of Mary. Basically, that Mary is the mediator between us and Jesus or us and God. In other words, that we can pray to Mary and Mary will convey those prayer requests to God the Father. Um, And so even some traditions have written prayers that you can say to Mary um, However, the Bible makes it very clear. Paul tells Timothy that there's one mediator between God and humans, and that's Jesus. We're to pray to Jesus. We're not to pray to Mary. And so we have some traditions that create this image of Mary where she's high and exalted, even through unbiblical teachings, um, almost to exalt her. And these traditions wouldn't say that they worship Mary because they say we worship God alone. But in reality, she's revered and respected and um, venerated in a way that is borderline worship. So that's one extreme of uh, certain traditions that talk about Mary. However, on the other end, in my tradition, I come from a Protestant, which is non-Catholic, conservative evangelical tradition, and I grew up in going to church my whole life. And to be honest, in church, I learned very, very, very little about Mary. Um, in fact, maybe Christmas time, when you would see the nativity scene, that would be about the only time you would hear about Mary. Oh yeah, she's the one who had Jesus, kind of as a passing thought. Um, And I also went to Bible college for my undergrad degree. I studied theology, all of the theology courses that they offered. Um, And in theology, I learned very, very little, if anything, about Mary. In fact, probably the only things I learned about her is what we don't believe about her, um, the doctrines we just went through. And I also had to do theology again uh, for my seminary degree. And again, um, not much was mentioned about Mary. And so I believe that in the traditions where I grew up, Uh, Protestant evangelical, um, my tradition has devalued or de-emphasized the importance and role of Mary. 
In fact, when I was growing up and when I, whenever I've been to church or study theology, theologians and, and preachers and teachers have no problems elevating people in the Bible like Abraham. When I was a child, there was a song about him. Father Abraham had many sons. You guys know that? Many sons had... Fa- okay, we'll stop. Um, <laughs> that can go on forever. Right arm, left arm, and turn around. Okay. That was a fun song. Um, Moses. Okay, there's been movies made about him. Um, You have David, King David. You have Paul in the New Testament. Most of our New Testament theology comes from the writings of Paul. And so Paul and all these other biblical figures are are, uh, taught as being very, that we should respect and honor these men and women. And yet when it comes to Mary, it's almost a reaction where, well, we don't want to emphasize so much So we'll de-emphasize her. And I think that's unfortunate. And that's another extreme that we need to avoid because I believe that the Bible does give us so much, um, enough information about her and she played such a significant role that we shouldn't minimize the role that she played in God's plan of redemption. And so as I've thought about Mary um, doing research for this sermon and thinking about my past, at least in the circles I've been, um, it's the opposite of some traditions that exalt her where Mary has become what I call the forgotten one. The one in the Bible where she is kind of like a footnote in the story. And hopefully today we can see that Mary had such an important role and I think there's so much we can learn from her. Well, when I was thinking about Mary, uh, we really don't know a lot about her. We know a little bit about her her background. She came from a very poor background, very poor, humble family. In fact, we know this because when her and Joseph went to um, dedicate Jesus in the temple, they, they brought a sacrifice of two doves. And in the Old Testament, we read that two doves were a substitute for those who were too poor to provide the real, the the original um, offering, and so the offering they gave was just two doves, and that would have symbolized that they were they were would have been poor, low class society. And when we think of people, um, I, I'm interested in names. I don't know why, but but names interest me. And as we think about it, that's how we identify each other. Um, and when we when we name our children, that that sticks with them for their life. And we have a name, and that there's something about identity with our name. And so I was interested in the the name Mary. And in Hebrew, Mary has an interesting meaning. It means bitter or strong or rebellion. And I've, as I was researching this, I was wondering why would someone name their daughter Mary? It sounds so beautiful, and yet the meaning is so harsh. Um, You may remember uh, we talked about Ruth last week, and her mother-in-law was Naomi. And because Naomi uh, was in such a uh, dire situation and felt that she had no hope, she, she actually said, call me Mara. And Mara means bitter, um, strong rebellion. <clears throat> However, if you remember back in um, the time of Moses, uh, the Jews, the Hebrew people were in captivity by the Egyptians. And it's interesting, Mary, many scholars believe, is derived from the Egyptian Miriam, which means beloved. And that could make a lot of sense because they were held captive by the Egyptians and probably um, were exposed to and took on some of the the traditions 
of the Egyptian people. And so many scholars believe that that is the actual derivative of Mary, which is makes more sense and sounds more nice to name your daughter beloved rather than bitter or strong. Well, if we look at some of the verses that were read in our scripture reading today, I believe they highlight some of the reasons why we should have um, the same view of Mary that God had of Mary, that she was um, a significant person, she had a significant character, and she had a significant role in God's plan of redemption. Uh, when the angel comes to her and greets her, uh, he says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That's a very big compliment, right? I mean, that's a huge compliment for, for an angel from God to say, You are highly favored with God. He is with you. And she obviously shows her humble character and humility. She was troubled by this. Who am I? Why are you coming to me? I'm just a poor, lowly girl. But then the angel says to her, um, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now think about that. How many people can we think of where God says, I found favor in you? We're all sinful human people. And yet God, um, for some reason, saw something in her that he wanted to use her, and she found favor with God. And again, her humble response when God says through the angel that you're going to give birth uh, through a virgin birth, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I mean, this all sounds strange and weird. And she just simply says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. And then she goes and visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth also affirms Mary's character. In uh, verse 42, it says, In a loud voice, she, she being Elizabeth, exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And so Mary was someone that was found favor with God. She was someone that was highly esteemed by not only God, but the people around her. And so um, as we look at some important aspects of Mary's life today, we're going to look at three very big tasks that Mary had. Okay, we're going to look at three tasks that she had, um, what they were, and then what we can learn from each of these. Now, the first one is one that... Uh, is the most obvious to us. Okay, Mary had to carry and give birth to the baby Jesus. Now, this may just seem like, okay, lots of women get pregnant. Um, but I believe in, in most societies, um, unwed mothers, women who get pregnant uh, before they're married, especially if they're very young, teenagers, don't, it, it's not looked upon very well in society. Um, my wife is an English teacher, and they ha- she's had to teach the scarlet letter. Um, and that was the big letter A to uh, signify that this woman was an adulteress. Um, and so even when I was in high school, um, we, uh, it was not uncommon to see one or two girls every year, teenage girls in our high school, walk around pregnant. 
And um, there was always a reputation with that. They were a girl who, was, who slept around a lot, um, not, not having a, a good reputation. And we would always wonder, who is the father? Um, and so there'd be lots of whispering and murmuring and gossip going around. Um, and especially if you were in a conservative Christian church, a religious family or, or uh, community like Mary would have been in, um, that would have been looked upon even worse. I remember um, when I was young, my dad was a pastor at a small, very conservative country church out in, in the country, and only about 20 people. And there was a, a lady who was maybe in her early 20s at that time, I can't remember, and she was looking like she was putting on a little bit of weight. Now, my dad is quite bold sometimes and a little awkward sometimes, and so he... I remember him talking with my mom and saying, I think that Robin might be pregnant, uh, but she's not married. She, I didn't even know she had a boyfriend. And my mom said, well, I, I can't really tell. And Tom, that's my dad's name, she may just be putting on weight. So we better just wait to talk about that because that would be even more awkward. Um, and he's like, no, I think I should ask her. And uh, <clears throat> going along with that, that you do have to be careful with that, gentlemen, <laughs> um, or anyone. We have some, a friend who has a son. Uh, she's about our age, and um, so she, she looked like she was putting on weight, and so the security guard or door person at her estate um, went up and patted her belly and said, oh, so number two is coming? And she said, no, just fat. Thank you. I'm just fat. Thanks. <laughs> She wasn't pregnant. <laughs> so my dad asks her just flat out, so do you have something to tell us? Are you pregnant? And she, she kind of stood back. She said, no, no, I'm not. And she denied it. But then a couple months later, it was undeniable. <laughs> she had hit it very well for quite some time, but she couldn't the last couple months. And uh, that was a huge thing in our church. How could this girl who's in our church, be pregnant. She committed adult, like she was not married. And there was a stigma with that. Now, in, in the societies where I've grown up, the stigma has just been loss of reputation and people looking down on you. But in Mary's situation, it would have been that coupled with a punishment. And according to the Jewish law, she would have been stoned. She would have been killed for committing adultery. And this is something we learn about Joseph uh, as, a, as a side note, that he was, the Bible says he was a righteous man, so he sought to divorce her quietly. In other words, he wasn't going to bring her forward to be, to be killed, but was going to settle the matter quietly so she could live. And so she's facing this, literally. Um, she's facing this possibility of being put to death, and how is it, and who's going to believe her? Yeah, I saw a vision of an angelic being and, oh yeah, said that I would be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Um, that would not fly in the society. And yet, what does she say? I'm the Lord's servant. Use me how you wish. And so she was willing to follow God no matter what the cost, no matter what the risk. And so the question for each of us today is, are you willing to follow God no matter what the cost or no matter what the risk might be for you. 
You know, following God is not just about the good feelings we get. I mean, there are so many joys and blessings we have in Christ. But it means that we might have to do things that we normally don't want to do, or it may mean we don't do things that we would normally want to do. God may be asking you to uh, go to someone who is where there's a strained relationship and for you to be the humble one to say, I'm, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And it may be that they hurt you, but you can apologize for the way that you've acted as well. Um, maybe God is saying, I want you to, um, to quit your job and go serve in the mission field somewhere. Or maybe I want you to, to serve at church in a more... Uh, a way that can bless others more rather than just sit and be a spectator. You know, whatever it is, there's risk involved. There is, there's a cost sometimes. Um, maybe God is saying, I've blessed you with so much financially. I want you to use that to bless others. I'm not saying just to give to the church. I'm saying to bless others in your family, in your, within your friends, within your coworkers. Um, there's always risk and cost involved. And so Mary was willing to follow God no matter what. Are we willing as well? A second task that we normally don't think about when it comes to Mary is she had to raise the Son of God as his mother for 30 years. Remember, it was 30 years before he started his ministry. Uh, we, We don't really... I think the reason we don't think about it is there's really not much that the Bible says, in fact, very little, of Jesus' childhood and, and growing up to adulthood. But it's within those, those missing years, so to speak, that, that a lot happened. Mary had to raise him as her own son. Now think about that. <clears throat> Being a parent is not easy. Now I know many of you have great kids um, that are that are easy uh, and fun, but let's face it, there are times where being a parent is not easy. It's not easy raising our own kids, and just think about God is telling you to raise his son. (laughs) Think about the pressure that is involved in that. Think about the temptation she might have for favoritism, to, to favor Jesus more than her other children. Think about the the, the spats and fights that the kids might have. You know, they think, well, Jesus is so perfect. Why does he have, you know, have such favor in your eyes? And you could see that there could be lots of sibling rivalry going on, or he's the son of God. And, you know, just think about how she would have to manage all of that. So this is no easy task that Mary had. And there was certain things that she taught Jesus that I think was very, is very interesting Um, First of all, Mary taught Jesus and had to teach him obedience. Now, just to clarify, Jesus never disobeyed his parents. (laughs) Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. That is clear of what the Bible teaches. However, when Jesus came down to earth in the form of a man, he gave up his uh, independent use of his divine powers He subjected himself, he submitted himself to obey the Father. And part of that obedience was also subjecting himself to the authority of his parents as well. And so he had to, he had to follow uh, his mom and dad. He had to uh, subject himself, submit himself to his parents and to obey them. 
Now, there was one instance that we read about in Jesus's childhood where they go to Jerusalem and Jesus somehow sneaks away from his family. He goes to the temple and he's talking to the, the rabbis there. He's asking them questions. The rabbis are like, wow, I've never heard those questions before. This guy is brilliant. And he was only um, very young, just a child. And he's also sitting there learning. And <clears throat> for the, his parents can't find him. And for, for three days, now I don't know how you lose someone for three days, but for three days, he was lost. They're looking everywhere for him. They finally see him in the temple and they say, what are you doing? How could you do this to us? Don't you know what we've gone through? And, and almost that they've lost face because people are looking like, how can you lose your child like that? And so they ask him, why did you do this? And he just looks and says, well, don't you know I needed to be in my father's house? And they didn't understand at the time what he was referring to, but he was talking about his heavenly father. Uh, But then after that, it says that he went home to be with them and he obeyed them and obeyed his parents. Now, it wasn't that Jesus had disobeyed his parents, but it was that Jesus knew his true heavenly, who his true father was, his true parent, which was God. And yet, I believe what this is saying is that Jesus willingly said, okay, I'm going to entrust myself to my earthly parents and my earthly mom, who is Mary. And so Mary taught him and had to teach him obedience. Uh, Something else that Mary taught Jesus was humility and meekness. Um, like I said, Mary came from not a, uh, a wealthy, prestigious background, but from a very humble, poor background. Um, think about the birth of Jesus. Um, and he was born in basically a stable, a barn, a, uh, some say a cave, whatever it was. It was a place where animals were. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who've given birth... Um, I've only witnessed the birth of my son and being in the comfort of a hospital room was very nice. (laughs) Can you imagine with the sounds and smells of cows and donkeys and mules and sheep and whatever other animals might have been present? Um, That would have been just very, I would think, very scary. And yet that's all they could do. They were following God and and, and they placed him in a manger. That, his first bed was a manger. And normally in, in manger scenes or nativity scenes, we have this nice wooden manger with nice clean hay. And, oh, it's so nice and pretty. But actually, from archaeological studies or, or finds, mangers would have been stone back then. They would have been very cold. And the, the hay in there wouldn't have been nice and clean. <laughs> that was a feeding trough for the donkeys and cows and horses and whatever animals would have been there. And so you would have had all of that saliva and spit and snot and and bad breath odor and and everything else all combined in there. And they're looking around for someone, where do I lay my baby to sleep? And that's the only thing that looks appealing. And they lay Jesus in that. So from the very beginning, Jesus had to learn humility and meekness and this idea of humbleness. And as they grew up, again, only two doves that Mary could offer. Um, And uh, the family business that Joseph had was he was a carpenter. And so Jesus, following in his dad's footsteps, who would take, as the eldest son, would take over the business, 
um, he had to learn hard work. He didn't have a cushy job. He worked very hard with his hands. He would sweat. He, he had to exert energy. And so he had to learn what it meant to work hard, to earn a living and to not earn a lot of a living, but to work hard so that his family and he could survive and eat and, and live. And so Mary taught Jesus humility and meekness. Uh, Mary also taught Jesus the importance of knowing the scriptures. Um, now, obviously, Jesus, being God, was the author of the scriptures. Um, but as a man, um, he had to learn and memorize the scriptures. And so when we look at Jesus' adult life, it's amazing how he had so much scripture memorized. And that wasn't just because he was divine, but it was also because of the faithfulness of his mom and his parents who taught him the importance of knowing and memorizing scripture. Uh, just after um, the scripture reading we had today, we read um, a song that Mary sang and or said or whatever, and most of that song is, is, is filled with Old Testament scriptures. And so Mary was one herself who knew the scriptures and taught Jesus the importance of knowing the scriptures as well. And then finally, she taught him, uh, amongst other things, but the things we'll focus on today, was the importance of recognizing God's presence, the presence of God the Father. You notice in so many instances in Jesus' life, he took time to spend just him and God. And he, he, he drew strength from spending time with his heavenly Father. And it's not something that he just did again because he was God's son, but it was something I believe that his mother and his parents taught him was the importance and how to recognize the presence of God in his life. And Mary, we can see early on, she, she recognized God's presence. When the angel appeared to her, she knew that that was God who was speaking to her. And so... <clears throat> As Jesus' mother and taking the time to parent him and the effort and energy meant she was very faithful to the task God has given her. And so the question for each of us today is, are you faithful to the tasks God has given you? Are you faithful with the tasks that God has brought in your life? Maybe some of you are a mom and dad. Some of you might be children who are called to honor your parents. Some of you may be students, and God's placed that in your life right now. And are you faithful as a student? Are you faithful in whatever career God has given you? Are you faithful with the resources God has given you? And so are we faithful? Are you faithful with the tasks God has given you? And then finally, quite possibly the most difficult task that Mary was given was she had to bury her firstborn son. Now, I have obviously not had the experience of having to to bury a child. I've known a few people who have. And it seems like it must be one of the most horrific experiences to have to go through. Uh, Just recently, within the past day or two, um, we have a close friend, uh, one of Gita's classmates from high school, She grew up in a family of seven children, and the youngest, who was about 22, just suddenly passed away in his sleep. And the mom has no reaction but to cry all day. (laughs) 
at my previous church, I, um, one of our elders and his wife, they had a son and daughter, and their son uh, committed suicide. And looking at especially the mom's face, <laughs> because for a mom, she brought that life into existence, I mean, physically and literally. And so for mom, the pain was unbearable. And you could just see the pain on her face for weeks and months as she lost and had to bury her her son. And so here's Mary, and we have the account of this in John chapter 19. In verse 25, it says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Now let's think about that for a minute. Like when we stand here and we look at the cross, we think, wow, that's so so nice and so peaceful, so hopeful. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but when Mary was seeing her son hanging there, it was not a peaceful sight. Crucifixion is known historically to be one of, if not the most horrific forms of death ever imaginable or ever experienced by human beings. One of the greatest, most torturous forms of death. And she's standing there watching her son die, knowing there is nothing she can do. And the pain that she must have felt. And it goes on to say that not only was his mother there, but his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And these are Jesus' last words to his mom. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, that's John, we know that to be John. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Most scholars believe that by this time, Mary was a widow. Uh, One, there's no mention of Joseph anymore. And two, when he says, kind of tells John to take her into his care, that would have been a normal practice because Jesus actually, we would assume, was taking care of her as the the eldest son. And as the eldest son, it was his responsibility, and yet he's on the cross and he's going to die and he can't take care of her anymore. The scholars aren't sure exactly why he says his friend John to take care of his mom, most likely because maybe his brothers and sisters were not believers yet and... Uh, he knew that she would get the best care and spiritual care especially from John. But for whatever reason, he entrusts John to look after her. And so here's mom seeing her son who is supposed to take care of her hanging on a cross about to die. And then she has to bury him. Well, in that sadness, just three days later, There must have been tremendous joy as Jesus, he raised from the dead. He resurrected. He was alive again. And so Mary must have been with with all of the disciples, so overjoyed to have her son back. And yet it was only a short time later, about 40 days later, that he goes back up and ascends into heaven and she loses him a second time. Well, just before Jesus went back up into heaven, he told his disciples Uh, commanded them to go back to Jerusalem and to wait there. And that, that as they wait, the promised Holy Spirit would come. 
And so the disciples go. And in Acts chapter 1, it lists the names of the disciples. It says that they went up to the upper room. And here we read the very last mention of Mary in the Bible. In Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Apparently by now, after the resurrection, his brothers finally believed in, in him as the Messiah. And so here we have the last mention of Mary, and what is she doing? She's waiting and praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus commanded. Mary was obedient to the end. She was obedient to God in carrying baby Jesus, giving birth to him, in raising Jesus to be her son, and also letting him go by burying him. And so the question for each of us today is, are you obedient to God's commands in your life? Are you obedient to what God wants you to do? Most of God's commands aren't subjective. Some things God may say specifically to certain people what to do and what not to do. But generally speaking, we have his word. And his word tells us how we're to live. And it's not to prevent us from enjoying life, but it's to give us life to the full. And God's commands are not burdensome. They're rewarding. And just think about as difficult as it was for Mary to risk her reputation to have the difficulty of raising God's son and having to bury him and let him go. And yet she was obedient and found so much joy and satisfaction. And so are you obedient to God's commands in your life? Well, I just want to conclude with asking another question, which is what is your treasure? There's a and I think this is very relevant for us here at Christmas time where we give gifts, we get gifts, we talk about all of the great joys of the season. And as treasure, what I mean is, what is it that you can't live without? What is it that if you had it taken away, your satisfaction and joy in life would be gone? What is our treasure? What is your treasure? Well, there's some verses and words that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever our treasure is, that's going to have our heart. And wherever our heart is, that's what we know is our treasure. Now let's relate this to Mary. A few years ago, I was um, doing a study on Mary, and um, I came across some interesting verses. And we have the scene in Luke chapter 2 where the angelic beings 
a multitude. We don't know how many, but that was a lot came out. And there's this heavenly scene where angelic beings are lighting up the night sky and they're singing out, speaking out, glory to God in the highest. And they're shepherds who witness this. And after the shepherds see this and hear that the Messiah has been born and they tell people, it says, everyone was in awe. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Where was Mary's treasure? Was it with the glitz and glamour of the holiday season? Was it with the the amazing things that are going on around her? Or was it with the baby she was holding in her arms, Jesus? Was her treasure with Christ? Well, what's interesting is later on, the story that I told you about how Jesus went off, was lost for three days, they found him, says he went home, was obedient to them. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. (laughs) What did she treasure? Look at me, I'm I'm the mother of Jesus. I'm the mother of the Son of God. I've got an obedient son. Was her treasure in her role? Was it in her her prestigious position? No. It was within God's son, Jesus, who is Christ. So at this holiday season, this is why I love God's word. (laughs) The genius of God's word, where we see things connect, where God is telling us something. And so especially at this time as we are in the Advent season, as we are entering into a new year, where is our treasure? Where is your treasure? What is your treasure? Is it the people and the things and stuff that you have around you? Or is it in the one greatest treasure, which is Christ himself? My prayer is that it would be in Christ. And if you don't have that treasure in Christ, but you want that, may today be the day. So may we order our lives, may we surround our lives, may that be where our heart is today and in the coming year. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to be with us. And Lord, as we have been looking at these various women in the Advent story, We have just seen your extravagant grace in amazing ways. Lord, you could have used the best people, the the most qualified people, the most perfect people, and yet you used the most broken, the most humble, the most meek. And Lord, that speaks even more volumes of how great and mighty you are. It speaks of how much you love us, how much you pursue us, no matter what brokenness and baggage we might be carrying. Lord, today, may our treasure be in you. May we be people who are obedient to you, willing to follow you no matter what it costs. And may we be faithful with the tasks you've given us. And may we do all of this for your name and your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us all rise as we sing our closing song, O come, all ye faithful.